You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Well, good evening, Valleydale and friends. Thank you so much for joining us here in our midweek worship service. We look forward to worshiping with you in the Word of God tonight. In 1986, Lou Holtz became the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame. As you know, Notre Dame has a rich football tradition. They had won 10 national titles before he even arrived on campus there. But when he became head coach, he wanted to learn everything he could about their tradition. So he went to a library on campus and checked out a number of books, went back to his hotel and began looking at them. While he was looking through one of the books, he saw a picture that caught his attention. There was a picture of a sign, a yellow sign that said, play like a champion today. It was hung at the bottom of the stairs of the, of the locker room right before the players would go out into the tunnel and out onto the field. Well, the sign was no longer there at the, in the, the bottom of the stairs. He didn't know where it was. He asked around. No one knew anything about the sign. So he sent one of his assistant coaches over to the campus sign shop, and the coach walked in. He said, hey, coach wants the sign made, and you know, he needs it as soon as possible. He needs it right away. And so uh, there was a lady there, sweet lady. She took it and began making the sign. Three days later, here's a sign that says, play like a champion today. And he, he had the sign put up there right in the original spot uh, there by the locker room. And right above it, it listed all their national titles. And this is what coach told the players. He said, you're not going to go out onto the field until you touch the sign. But when you touch it, here's what it represents. It represents all of the people who helped you get here. It represents your family, your parents, and your high school coach. Secondly, it represents all those who came before you. There is a lot of players who have been here who helped build a winning tradition. It represents them. And third, it represents your teammates. You have an obligation to your teammates not to let them down. So every time the players would touch that, it represented their values. They valued all the people who had gone before them, their friends, their family, and their teammates. And those values translated into actions on the field. You see, whether we realize it or not, our actions reveal our values. Now, just think for a moment. Some of you value physical training, physical exercise. And so that's one of your action steps every week or every day for some of you. Others of you value the outdoors. So hunting and fishing and those kinds of things, they're important to you. So that's part of your actions as, as, as often as you can. Others of you value going to the beach and, and you go as, as, as quick and as often as you can. Others of you value dressing nicely. So you, you order nice clothes. You spend time looking and shopping. You see, what we value comes out in our actions. Our actions reveal our values. And that, that same principle is true in our spiritual life as well. You see, what we value spiritually should manifest itself in action. If I value intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing him, there should be action to that. There should be time I spend daily in the word of God. There should be time I spend with other believers worshiping. There should be time I, I spent singing and praying to the Lord. See, our, our actions reveal our values. And tonight, we're going to look at the actions of three particular men. And we're going to see real clearly what their values were. And I hope that as we look at this together, that your values will also become really clear. 
One of those men, his name was Elisha. We've been on looking at him for some number of weeks now. And tonight we'll look at him again, but he's not the main character in this story. In fact, his servant Gehazi is the main character. He takes center stage and he had a different set of values, unfortunately, than Elisha did. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 5 together. Now, you remember last week we were introduced to Naaman. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. He came to Israel for healing. He had leprosy. He had a lot of things going for him. But underneath that, that distinguished uniform was leprosy. And he came and, and he, wanted, he wanted healing in a certain way. And when he didn't get it, he, he was angry. said he went away in a rage, the Bible says. But thankfully, he had some quality people around him who questioned him and said, hey, he's told you how to get well. And so Naaman humbled himself. He went to the Jordan River, just like Elisha said, and he dipped seven times in the water. He came up, and it says, the Bible says he was clean. And, and we, we talked about that meant clean physically and spiritually, because in our passage tonight, you see, is a profession of faith. He said, I'll worship no other God except the God in Israel. So it, it was, he was confessing his faith. He became a believer in God. And so we were introduced to Naaman. And so we find ourselves here in verse 15. After Naaman came up out of the Jordan River, you would think he would just head right to back to Syria, excited, going to go tell his wife, hey, you won't believe what happened. I'm healed now and I'm a changed man. But, but that's not what he does right away. It says he and all his company, he came and stood before him. That is, he came and stood before Elisha. He traveled, he made the 32-mile trip back to Samaria to see Elisha. Uh, I find that so interesting. And he says, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. You see, Naaman was filled with gratitude. God had healed him, and he recognizes that. And now he wants to give an offering to the Lord. Remember, we said last week he had 750 pounds worth of metal, silver and gold. He had sets of 10 sets of clothing. It, it was valued at about $750 million in, in modern terms. And he, he, he was, had a lot of money. He was ready to give an offering. And so he offers that to Elisha. And it, he says he urged him. He urged him to take it. But Elisha wouldn't take it. Elisha refused to take it. He, he, was, he was firm in his resolve. And you may wonder, now, why, why wouldn't Elisha take an offering? What, what's wrong with that? Well, see, Elisha, remember, he didn't go down to the Jordan River with Naaman. So Elisha was not really a part of this. And if he would have taken an offering, it would have given the impression that somehow Elisha was responsible for this. This was God's doing. This was God's miracle. This was God's healing. And only God deserved the glory. And so Elisha just politely refused, and would not accept the offering. So here's our first value. I want to give you three values that I see here in Naaman's life. I want to give you four values following that in Gehazi's life. And then I want to share two values from Elisha's life. All right, so our first value we see in Naaman's life is gratitude. And Naaman, Naaman valued gratitude. Uh, are you a grateful person? Would your spouse or would your friends or would your parents say that you're a grateful person, that you're filled with gratitude? Remember, years later after this, near Samaria, Jesus was out walking. Remember, 10 lepers came up to him and said, Master, 
Master, have mercy on us. And it says, as they went to the priest, all 10 of them were cleansed. But do you remember how many came back to say thank you? Only one. Only one came back and fell down at the feet of Jesus and gave him thanks. Only one, only 10% came and fell at the feet of Jesus and just said, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Remember in Romans 1, you read the end of Romans 1, you read all the, there's just uh, all kinds of sin listed there. And, and, and God gave the people over to their shameful passions and lusts. But do you know what the real problem was? You have to read in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. See, the problem began in Romans 1 where they didn't, they didn't thank God. And then because they didn't thank God, God eventually gave them over to what they wanted, their shameful passions. Gratitude is part of the Christian life. You and I should be growing in gratitude. Here's a man who's a brand new believer and he's already practicing gratitude. It's just part of who he is now because God has changed his life. There's another value seen in verse 17. Naaman asked, he wanted to take two loads of soil from Israel back to Syria. And the reason he wanted to form an altar based on the soil from Israel. And this was not uncommon during that time. But the term for earth that he uses here is also in that verse is found in the the book of Exodus, where it talks about uh, making an altar to burn sacrifices and peace offerings, burn offerings and peace offerings. So, so Naaman wants to go back and have, he wants to create an altar built from the soil of Israel. Now that would have taken some courage because you can imagine pulling two loads of soil back into Syria. People going, where, where did you get the soil from? Why did you bring it all the way back here? We have soil here. What's the significance of that? And all of that would, would be an opportunity for Naaman to tell his testimony. Well, I, God has changed me now. I, I don't worship the God of Syria. I worship the God of Israel now. So that would have taken courage for him. But it, it, was, it was a bold act, but it, it was important to him. You see, Naaman goes back to Syria, a changed man. So this leads us to our second value that we see in Naaman's life. Because he says, I'm, I'm, from now on, I'm, I'm not worshiping any other God but Yahweh. I, I'm, I'm done worshiping the God of Syria. The second value we see in Naaman's life is worship. First it was gratitude, now it's worship. Naaman valued worshiping only Yahweh. He's not adding Yahweh to his collection of gods. He's only worshiping Yahweh. There should be a time daily where you and I are worshiping God. Uh, there, there's different ways you can do that, but there should be a time daily Sometimes some of you may be driving in the car, worshiping as you're singing or praying, or some of you maybe while you're exercising, or some of you may just be where you're sitting alone just with a, a copy of the Word of God. There should be a daily time where we're worshiping Him. Remember in John 4, Jesus says the Father is the Father's looking for, for something. Remember what, what He's looking for? Didn't say He's looking for successful people or, or people with a lot of money or people who have everything together. It's, he says he's searching for worshipers, for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what God is interested in, and so that should be a part of our life. This is a part of Naaman's life now. He's excited about worshiping, and so he's going to take a little bit of Israel back to Syria with him so that he can worship. Now, Naaman had one other value that we see in verse 18. 
He was the second person in command in Syria. And so because of that, he would need to accompany the king into the temple of the house is called the house of Ramon. The house of Ramon, Ramon was the Syrian god. He was the, the god of the storm and uh, very similar to, to Baal. And so he would have to go in with the king and bow down with the king, go through the ceremonial worship of the false god. And so Naaman wanted Elisha to know that, hey, part of my job description includes me going into this house of worship. And I want you to know, Elisha, I'm not going to really mean it. When I go in there to that house of, of Ramon, I'm not going to be worshiping. I, I mean, I'm going to have to bow down because he's my boss and I've got to do what he says. But I'm not, my heart will not be in it. You see, my heart worships only Yahweh now. So I'm going to go through the motions, but just know I'm asking for a pardon. That's what the word is there at the end of verse 18. Uh, you know, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Because I'm not going to be worshiping that false God. No, no, no. I, I'm worshiping Yahweh. So he's asking for forgiveness. He's asking for forgiveness in advance. Because he, he, he's just going to be going through the motions. But his heart is sensitive now to the will of God. He realizes this is inappropriate. I shouldn't be in a, another house of worship, but I can't change it. It's, it's part of my job. So the third value we see in Naaman's life is he valued forgiveness. He valued forgiveness. You know, Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, as much as it depends on you. In other words, do everything you can to live at peace with other people. And, and sometimes you do everything you can, and it still doesn't make a difference. And, and I, under, I understand that. Some of you have done that. You've, you've, tried, you've tried to reconcile. You've tried to, to ask for forgiveness, and, and it just hasn't worked out yet. So, but if, as much as it depends on you, as, as much effort as you can, go for it. See, seek forgiveness. Seek, seek peace, whether it's with a child, whether it's with your, your friend, whether it's with your spouse, whoever it is. Um, Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, no change, no Christ. In other words, if there's no change in your life, then there's no Christ in your life. When the Lord Jesus comes inside of our lives, he begins to change us. You see that in Naaman's life here. Naaman's not been discipled for five years. Naaman has, has been saved, and now all of a sudden he's, he's concerned about forgiveness, worship, and gratitude, just like that. There ought to be a difference in our life pretty quickly after we get saved, and especially after we keep growing in the Lord. We ought to be becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's four values that we see in Gehazi's life now. We, we looked at Naaman, but now Gehazi comes on the scene. and He, he takes center stage now, and it's, it's, it's not a pleasant sight, but it says, but when Naaman had gone far from him, a sh or had gone from him a short distance. Now we think that means Naaman was leaving Samaria and had just gone kind of above the horizon, maybe just gone over a hill, and he was on his way back to Syria, had about a hundred mile trip back to Syria. At that moment, Gehazi, verse 20, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master, first, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's talking to himself, and he has this elaborate scheme now, this deceptive, uh, deceitful scheme that he's going to articulate before he even does it. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, he says, See, my master has spared this, this Naaman, 
the Syrian. Why, now, he could have said this name and the believer in God, but, but he's, he's like he's looking down at him. He's a Syrian. This, this name in the Syrian and, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. See, he was upset with Elisha. Elisha, you should have, this guy's uh, hundreds of pounds of silver and gold. Why, why won't you accept it? Uh, he, he thought Elisha should have been paid for this. Uh, that's what he would have done. That's what he wanted. So wh- why, why wouldn't Elisha accept it? So he's, he's irritated at, at, his, at his boss. And, and so he says, as the Lord lives. Now he's bringing the Lord into this. Now, previously, Elisha has said, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to accept your offering, Naaman. And now he's saying, as the Lord lives, I'm going to go take it. I'm going to go take this offering. And so you, you see this opportunity in his eyes for personal gain. And this was his moment. Perhaps he'd been tired of sitting on the sidelines. He's been assisting Elisha for I don't know how long at this point. He's tired of waiting. This is his moment now. This is his moment to benefit from this miracle. And so here he's planning this whole greedy scheme. So he, he decides, decides to take matters into his own hands. Now he's coveting. In, underneath, if you could look in his heart, he's struggling with coveting. He has, he's, he's coveting in his heart. He's wanting what someone else has. He says, I will run after him and get something from him. Name Gehazi is a taker. I'm going to get something from him. I want something. He has something that I want. And so I'm coveting what he has. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's, it, this has become an idol now in Gehazi's life. He's worshiping this money. If I can just get my hands on that money, I'm going to get something from him. And he's, he's probably thinking about everything he could do with all of that money. And so he's, he's coveting. So he, he's let this live in his heart now, and it's about to fuel the actions that we're going to read. Coveting is like corrosion. You, you, have you ever had corrosion on your battery terminals in your car? Uh, my dad used to tell me to look out for that. You can, if, you, if you look at your, your battery in your car, uh, corrosion can get on the terminals and grow and grow. And all of a sudden, one day you go and your car won't start. It will short out the starting process. It will eat away at your terminals. And so you have to keep an eye on it, clean them, make, make sure that the corrosion is not building. But you can't see it unless you open the hood and look at it. See, you can't see the coveting in his heart until it's about to manifest itself. But for some time now, he's, he's watching Naaman leave, and he's just, he's just there coveting. Man, well, you just wait till I get my hands on that. I'm going to get that money, and boy, I'm, I, it's going it's to be incredible. So the first value we see in Gehazi's life he valued possessions. Gehazi valued possessions. He wanted what Naaman had, gold, silver, clothing. It was time to cash in, in his mind. One source wrote this, The temptation is common to seek individual gain from God's actions, a reward for qualities and abilities that are actually God's gifts. Elisha wanted nothing to do with it. Gehazi wants everything to do with it. Years ago, Dr. Chuck Swindoll was on the campus at Dallas Seminary, and it was either right before he was named president or right after, and he was walking around campus, getting re-familiar with the campus landscape, and he walked in the campus bookstore, and he, he noticed uh, uh, up there on the wall, there was a camera, 
he said, hey, what, what's that? Um, and someone explained, well, that, it's a camera. You know, we have from time to time people steal things in here. And he was, he was floored in a seminary bookstore with, with men and women preparing for ministry. You have to be worried about theft. And unfortunately, that was the case. You see, sometimes it's, it's the least likely people that we think that are going to struggle with sin. That's exactly who struggles with it. You, you would think someone close to Elisha, the, the, the man of God who had Elijah's cloak and, and parted the, 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 the Jordan River, uh, God had used him in incredible ways. And he had been, Gehazi had been close to him. And I, I wonder if they prayed together and they shared scripture together and in, even though he had been so close to Elisha, now he's eaten up with wanting possessions. Um, sometimes we don't expect it from people like that, but unfortunately, sometimes it happens. One source wrote this, it's possible to be close to the work of God and to the people of God, but to be far from the heart of God. Are you far from the heart of God tonight? Uh, would, would, would people look at you and think, well, I think they're so close to God. They're, they're here at church every time they can. They're worshiping online. They're, you know, their, their life just seems so clean, but, but you're far from the heart of God. See, Gehazi was far from the heart of God, but he was in the nation of God, and he was there with the man of God. God's interested in our hearts. You see, Gehazi had corrosion going on in his heart, and it was a problem. We see another value here as we keep reading. Uh, he ran after Naaman, and, and Naaman spotted him, and, and Naaman got down to, to meet him. Uh, and, and just another evidence of the changed life of Naaman. He could have easily delegated this to someone else, uh, but he got down to, to talk to Gehazi. And, and Gehazi comes up with this elaborate scheme, and he tells him that, hey, there, there's a need, sons of the prophets, and uh, there was probably a famine during this time. So the need would have been, in Naaman's mind, it would have been legitimate. And if you notice, Gehazi didn't ask for everything. He just says, um, they're just now, come, come to me from the hill country. Um, first, he says, my master has sent me to you. So he's lying. Elisha did not send him to him. But he says, we have a need. Two sons of the prophets, and they have a need. And so he says, please give them a talent of silver, and two changes of clothing. Please give them. He's not saying, don't, don't give it to me, but, but give it to them. One talent weighs 75 pounds. So he's asking for two. I take it one for each son of the prophet. So 150 pounds worth of, of silver. And then uh, one talent equaled about 300 years worth of wages. 300 years, uh, one source said. That, that's a significant amount of money. So Gehazi is looking to be financially set for the rest of his life. He says this is his chance. No more having to work if he doesn't want to. He is now going to be set up for the rest of his life. So Naaman gave him two talents. Notice Naaman urged him. Now Naaman urged Elijah. Elisha didn't work with him, but he urged uh, Gehazi, and he took it right away. He, he, he tied up two talents and Two bags, and remember that um, Elisha refused it, but here goes Gehazi. He willingly accepts it. And Naaman also sent servants. Naaman sent just the generosity of Naaman. 
sent these servants to help, help Elisha, or Gehazi carry all of these things back to Samaria. Now, at this point, I'm sure Gehazi was thinking, no one in Samaria has any idea about what's happening here. No one's going to get hurt. I've gotten what I wanted. Everybody's happy. Uh, it, this is going to be great. So here's the next value in Gehazi's life. He valued comfort. He valued comfort. Naaman just gave him 600 years worth of wages. If he didn't want to, he wouldn't have to work another day in his life. He's, he's financially set now. And, he's, and we're going to see what Elisha says later. Gehazi is already thinking probably about how he's going to spend that money, how he's going to use it. A life of comfort. No longer a poor assistant to Elisha. Maybe Gehazi was tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the hard times. I'm ready to enjoy a life of comfort. And if, we, if you and I value comfort as Christians, we will not be all that Jesus would have us to be. Uh, some years ago, Tom Landry, the longtime coach of the Dallas Cowboys, was asked, how do you develop a team uh, and, and out, of, out of individuals? How, how do you develop them into a team? This is what he said. My job is to get men to do what they don't want to do so they can achieve what they always wanted to achieve. You see, what they always wanted to achieve is to win a Super Bowl. But what they don't want to do is the hard work that it takes to get to the Super Bowl. So he says, my job is to get them to do that hard work so they can achieve that dream they've always had. See, part of the Christian life is hard work. I mean, it, it's not hard work to become a Christian. We just receive Christ by faith. But uh, once you become a Christian, it, it takes effort. And if we value a life of comfort, uh, that's the opposite of it. it. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes getting up early if you're going to spend time with the Lord. It takes effort. Uh, be careful not to give in and, and pursue a life of comfort, a life of ease. Um, Jesus it said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus didn't pursue a life of comfort. He does not call us to pursue a life of comfort. He calls us to pursue a life of self-denial. Deny yourselves and follow Jesus. Gehazi and Naaman's two servants came to the hill right outside of Samaria. And at that, at that moment, uh, Gehazi released them. He takes the items from them. Uh, he, Gehazi doesn't want to cause a scene coming into Samaria, especially doesn't want Elisha to see him. So he, he takes those items, he goes to the house, and he, he puts the items away. I would imagine he put them in a very secret place so that no one else would know where they were. No one else would find them. It reminds you of Joshua 7, doesn't it? Remember the sin of Achan? He, they conquered Jericho, and, and he saw some things that he wanted. He, he, he coveted those things, and he took them, silver, gold, and a beautiful cloak, it says. Well, that sin cost Israel a military loss, and it cost Achan his life. But here comes Gehazi now. It's still a secret in his mind, as far as he knows. And so now he appears before Elisha again. And so Elisha says, where have you been, Gehazi? Gehazi says, your servant went nowhere. So he's lied to Naaman, and now he's lying to Elisha. And He's trying to cover himself up. He's trying to cover his steps. He's, he has another value here, and his value is reputation. He values his own reputation, Gehazi does. He's lying to cover up for himself because he don't, does not want to be exposed. 
He didn't want anyone to see him sliding back into town with, with two talents of silver and, and some clothes. And so he's lying to protect his reputation. He values comfort, possessions, and reputation. It's just so different from what we read in Paul. When Paul says, For I do not, but I do not consider my life of any account or any value as precious to me in the book of Acts, he said. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was Paul's vision. That was his ministry. I'm not concerned about reputation. I just want to finish the, the course that Jesus gave to me. But not for Gehazi. He, he wanted more. And so there's one more value I want to show you. Elisha exposed Gehazi for, for what he was. He said, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? How would Elisha know that? How would he know that Naaman turned when he saw him? Well, God, God revealed it to him. God, Elisha wasn't there physically, but God gave him that revelation, and he was able to speak it. I would have loved to have seen Gehazi's draw just drop at that moment and think, oh, no, I have been, my sins have found me out. And Elisha gave these specific details that only no one else would have known. Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. God's, God saw it. And so now Elijah knows it. And Gehazi was ready to indulge in a life of comfort. Look, look what uh, uh, Elisha says. He says, Was it a time? By the way, it's probably a time of famine. And, and Elisha goes, Was it a time to accept money and garments and now Elisha lists all these other things. That's probably what, what Gehazi was going to do with the money. Uh, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants. That's, that's what he was going to do with the money. And Elisha knows that. He says, is it, a, is it a time to indulge yourself? Is this a time just to live it up? It's all about you. Live a life of comfort now while other people are struggling in the midst of this famine. Is it a time to do that? To lie, Gehazi? No, it's not. It's not a time to do that. And so he's rebuking him, and he's exposing him for, for what he had done. And so you see two different values here. Uh, you see now, verse 27, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you, talking to Gehazi, and to your descendants forever. Forever. That means every generation after him, there would be at least one person that would have leprosy. It's so sad. Here's a man so close in the nation of God, close to the man of God, who walks away now with leprosy. And all of those behind him, he leaves a legacy of disease and shame to all those who would come behind him. And here's a man, Naaman, who is a foreigner, who is a leper, who comes, and now he gets saved, and he gets cleansed, and he goes back clean. It's an illustration of the love of God. For all people, to anyone who will trust him by faith. This is a Gentile, Naaman, getting saved. It's a, one of the great pictures in the Old Testament of a Gentile conversion. And that's what this is a picture of. But it's also a judgment upon Israel. You had the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen, treasured possession, supposed to be the apple of his eye, close to his heart. And there they are, worshiping false idols. There's Gehazi worshiping possessions, and worshiping reputation, all these other things. Israel as a nation is worshiping Baal. They're often idolatry and false worship. 
and it's judgment upon that nation because they never they were so close, but they never turned to him in faith. A few of them did. Elisha did, and there were some others, but on the whole, they didn't. And so this was this was a judgment upon them. The last value in Gehazi's life is that he valued today. He valued today. He wasn't thinking about the consequences of tomorrow. He was thinking about the comforts of today. Man, if I can just get that money, oh, I'm going to have olive orchards. I'm going to have servants. They're going to serve me. I'm no longer going to be the servant serving somebody else. They're going to serve me. So he's, he's thinking about the comforts of today, not the consequences of tomorrow. So he valued today. Galatians 6 says, the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. And that's exactly what happened here. He walks away as a leper. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. Two different men, Naaman, Gehazi, two different sets of values. What about Elisha? What do you think Elisha valued? Elisha valued God's glory. Uh, He didn't want to take money. He didn't want to pretend like he had anything to do with this miracle. That was God's miracle. He valued the glory of God. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, praying to the Father, by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus valued God's glory. See, Elisha here is really a picture of Jesus. Jesus came to do the Father's will. Elisha's here to do God's will. He's not here to make money. He's not here to benefit off someone else. And then Elisha also served here as a judge. He pronounced judgment upon Gehazi. You see, Jesus is going to be the judge at the end of time. Every person will appear before him, unbelievers at the great white throne judgment to receive eternal damnation because they didn't trust in him as Lord and Savior. And then believers will stand before him at the, great, at the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, and they'll, our, our lives will be evaluated, our works will be evaluated based on what we've done for him. We won't be judged, we'll get into heaven, but our our works will be evaluated. And at that moment, the only thing that'll matter is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And my friend, if you've never made that decision, do it now. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe some of you have been so close to him, just like like Gehazi, you're so close. Maybe your spouse is a believer, but you're not. You're so close. Maybe you've come here or you've been to a church, you've been worshiping online, but you've never taken that step of receiving Christ as your Savior. And my friend, you can be so close, but so far away from the heart of God. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He's already paid for your sin. Just receive him as your Lord and Savior. Well, Coach Lou Holtz had that sign put up there at Notre Dame, and um, they began using it for years. When the, when the assistant coach went over to get the sign made, he handed the, a piece of paper to Laurie Winger. Laurie Winger was the one who made the sign. She took her three days. She put the sign together. She painted it. Laurie was born blind in her right eye, but she was still a pretty good painter. She worked for years for Notre Dame. She did a great job on that sign. In 1991, NBC decided to put a, a camera at the top of the stairs of the locker room and it, it's shown right down, down the stairs onto that sign. And players would go down, they'd hit the sign, they'd go out to the tunnel. So the, same, the sign gained in popularity. People began noticing that sign. Notre Dame was on TV a lot. They were, they were doing well. And uh, people began requesting that sign. Hey, can I get one of those? 
So she started getting all these requests. Even Rudy Rudiger, remember the movie Rudy? He, uh, movie Rudy, he requested one of those signs. She ended up painting about 600 signs until she finally got a local imaging company to help her with that. But that all those signs were a blessing to her because in the mid-90s, she came down with multiple sclerosis. Years later, she ended up having to have surgery to remove a brain tumor. And she had a lot of medical expenses, but thankfully she had made a lot of money off those signs and they were a blessing to her and her family to pay all those medical bills and even allowed her to retire. You see, Coach Holtz's values informed his actions and those actions affected people, not just his players, but it impacted the very person who painted that sign. You see, our actions reveal our values and our actions affect people. So we had better be real sure that our values are the proper values. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for including this story in the word of God. It's, it's hard to imagine that someone so close to the man of God and to the word of God could be so far from God. But Lord, maybe tonight someone is in that same position. They've, they've heard about you for years. They've come to church. They, their parents are believers. They have a believing spouse. They're, maybe a child is a believer, but maybe they've never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I pray right now Lord, today would be the day of salvation for them. And I pray for others that maybe you've made that decision years ago. You already know you're saved. But you're struggling with some of the things that Gehazi struggled with. You see the that coveting in your heart, that desire for possessions and desire, desire to defend yourself and all of those things. That, that just manifests itself often. Maybe you just want to repent tonight. Confess that to the Lord. You want to get clean with him. I encourage you to do that. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you that you are faithful. Would you just minister to hearts and to souls tonight? In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, my friend, I thank you for joining us tonight. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. Pastor will be back in the book of Job. It'll be exciting. It'll be a blessing. Look forward to seeing you then. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.